Guy Montag is a fireman. But his job is to burn books and the houses that hide them. Montag and his wife, Mildred, who spends all day with her television family, have never questioned his life as a fireman until he meets his eccentric young neighbor, Clarice. And Clarice spends her time differently than everyone else in the world. She's out in the world exploring, and as she talks with Montag, he starts to question everything he knows. Hello, everybody. I'm Cody. And I'm Brent. And we are the Hugo Nuts, here to review and discuss with you the best sci-fi novels of all time. This week, as you may have guessed, we're talking about Fahrenheit 451, Ray Bradbury's classic dystopian novel. Yeah, it's nice and tight, 158 pages or four and a half hours on audiobook, published in 1953. And uh, he actually wrote this one at my alma mater in the UCLA Powell Library basement from 1950 to 1953. That's why I like studied for school. It's such a cool thing. Anyway, that's awesome. Um, and we're we're doing Fahrenheit 451 as part of our kind of mission to review all the classic dystopian lit that everyone agrees are the best, and then eventually do a ranking episode where we we rank the ones we think are the best um, toward the end of 2023. So definitely look out for that. And next time, look out for our first episode. We finally are diving into with much prodding from all uh, vectors across <laughs> space, uh, The Expanse. Uh, as you may imagine, it's a, neither of us had ever started The Expanse, so nine books was tough to dive into and think about for doing an episode. So what are we doing instead, Brent? Yeah, we're going to do three episodes, actually. So we're going to start with the first three books uh, here in two weeks. So if you're an Expanse fan or you've been thinking about checking it out, Make sure you uh, you know like and subscribe on podcasts or, or download follow on YouTube so you don't miss that one on the Expanse. The opposite of what you said, but everyone knows the the, the things. You do the things so you don't miss the stuff. Yeah, 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 do yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> uh, so first three books of the Expanse. That's going to be fun. What other announcements do we have? Uh, yeah, one exciting announcement. So we are uh, we've been talking to everybody about Discord for a while, and many of you have joined. We've been chatting about books, and we are officially going to read a book all together on there. So we're doing like a full on book club. Um, and the day this episode releases is the day we'll put up the poll where we vote on what the book is going to be. So if you want to read a book, chat about it all together. Uh, online before we release an episode about it, actually. Make sure you join the Discord and vote for which book you want to read, and then we'll be reading it here over the next roughly month. I'm getting the exact timeline. We'll have the discussion on Discord, uh, and then we'll make the episode about it after that, after we've all had a chance to, to chat in the book club. So it should be really, really fun. It's going to be awesome. We're super stoked about that. Also, uh, at Worth announcing, um, eminent deadline of my first child. Bah, 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 um, tiny Cody. <laughs> my, well, um, yes, tiny girl, tiny lady baby Cody. daughter. Um, <laughs> my wife and I are expecting in on June 27th. So we may, the schedule may be interrupted. Neither Brent or I has ever had a child, so we're not sure how it's going to go. We plan to you know, keep it pretty regular. But if we miss a week here and there, that's why. I think the parents in the audience are probably like, yeah, you're idiots. It's going to be way harder than you think. Uh, my <laughs> yeah. wife is also pregnant two months behind Cody. So he's like, Cody has to figure everything out. And then I just like get the hot intel. It's been a good system so far. I look forward to that continuing. Thank you. Which I think also parents in the audience are going to be like, that's not going to be valuable at all. It's going to be completely <laughs> different. But uh, we'll see. 
Um, <laughs> anyway, so if there's a slight interruption in schedule, that's why. Um, but, you know, without further ado, that was a lot of ado. Um, let's talk about Fahrenheit 451, a book which I gave three and a half out of five. Um, kind of, I think, a la Dune. Um, it's one of those books that's like so fundamental to the speculative fiction Um canon. It's also affected a lot of books along the way that have um, done good things with ideas from it. Um, and and so it, when you're reading it as a modern reader, you're maybe having a little bit of like, wow, this has got a, some weird stuff in it. I didn't like this part and blah, blah, blah. But it still has a lot of really great um, fundamental messages and is interesting. And it's a, a quick, fun read. For sure. Uh, I'm going to give it a three out of five, which I'm bummed about. The first half of this book I love so much. And the back half, I don't like nearly as much. Um, I think some of the ideas really hit home, but at the end, he just tries to deliver on like so many themes. There just wasn't enough space here to like tee them up and have them like make sense and feel organic. Um, so anyway, yeah, three out of five for me. Luckily, that's a pretty short amount of time. I, yeah, this is still a book I think everybody should read. Yeah, it's so short and quick. And Ray Bradbury's writing style, I mean, we'll talk, talk more about it later, but like he's a really interesting writer. It's worth struggling through at least one of these to get a sense for what he's like. And what's the first line of the book? Because any good, any great novel has that it sure tantalizing does. first line. It was a pleasure to burn. That's amazing. So good. Loved that. <laughs> um, and uh, this book actually was originally serialized, which is pretty obvious um, when you read it. It's part one, part two, part three. Um, and it kind of has that, that feel too. But it does feel a little bit more connected than other serialized fiction we've read. Yeah, like the foundation books are definitely more like disjoint stand on their own than this than this one. Um, yeah. And Canical for Leibowitz is um, yep. a little more gappy, even though it, it all kind of feeds into itself. Um, but uh, let's talk about his, his world building, Brent. You had some thoughts on that. Yeah, I really thought it was incredibly strong. I mean, this is such a famous book that I mean, I think we both read this before, but even if you haven't read this before, you've probably heard like, oh, it's a world where books are banned and the firemen actually burn the books. But somehow it still manages to be like, he's still building the world in such a really good way. It's totally organic. There's never any exposition of any kind. Like, you know, we find out people are unhappy generally in the society because his wife tries to commit suicide and it's not like a doctor an EMT who shows up. It's just like a vacuum pump technician who's like, oh yeah, I do 40 of these a night. We just pump their stomachs and replace their blood. I just took them up to this machine. I'm just like a guy who smokes while the machine does its thing. Like she'll be fine. Don't worry about it. It's like, oh God, that's grim. Everyone's trying to kill themselves all the time. I guess it's not good. Um, but like, that's how you find out things aren't good. You know, it's it's not like he's telling you people are unhappy. He's like showing you very directly through the Montag's experience. And it also has the uh, effective speculative fiction thing of, of being a little timeless. Like even if some of the technology feels a little uh, silly, um, by today's standards, it's all um, very foundational. It, it feels like, um, you know, what the kind of things that humanity does and makes and the kind of holes we get ourselves into. Um, you know, the 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 man, for per your example, the man running the vacuum um, extractor uh, and not having a bedside manner is, is feels like something that is already happening or will happen to um, a lot of fields that require more sensitivity, but are are kind of slowly automated and farmed out to technicians. Um, 
it also kind of reminded me of the, the when we watched uh, Brazil together, the Terry Gilliam movie, and that the like the air conditioner people come to his house and they need the form. And I, I, anyways, that's a that's a great movie. Everyone should watch it. But uh, a lot of similarities there too. That kind of like early yeah, science fiction sucked. They were so mean. <laughs> yeah, that that early speculative fiction like slapstick technology almost. Yeah, for sure. What about uh, what about the characters? Who are we working with here? Yeah, they're really only, I mean, we really only have five characters, right? Uh, first of all, we can swap out in and out here, Brent, uh, but uh, we have Guy Montag is our main character, and he's, you know, the foil of the the man who's just going about his day-to-day life, trying to work his jobs, keep his head low, make some money for his wife and him, and... and uh, to have more TVs, only three walls of one of their rooms or TVs, they're missing the fourth wall, and his wife is, like, really... Yeah, even though they just that. even though they just purchased the third one. Yeah, I don't still even know if you see the fourth wall. It's behind you, but anyway, she wanted it. It's important. I think I think that's a joke about the fourth wall that Bradbury's making. Oh. Like that we can't we ha- we can't afford the fourth wall yet. Um, <laughs> that that was my <laughs> impression. Um, and then uh, the book also has a really sneakily great villain. Yeah, Captain Beatty. So that's like the captain of the uh, fire station where Montag works. And yeah, my favorite character for sure, because he is clearly, uh, he is more educated and it actually seems, not seems like he definitely has actually read some books. There's sometimes he's quoting things. And so he sort of plays the role of, uh, feels very similar to Mustafa Mond from Brave New World, where like he actually has done the things they're not allowed to do, but he still very fundamentally believes what they're doing is right. So he's sort of like, he's, he's our way to have someone explain to Montag why the world is the way it is and why they believe it should be that way. Um, And he just plays it in a really good way. He's like a, he's a scary dude. I would not want to have to hang out with BD. Yeah. And say the proof of that, the the villain who, even though he believes in something that's wrong, you know, wrong um, or just wrong without quotes, either way, um, (laughs) he, um, he has to have all that knowledge and do the wrong thing to understand it, to be able to fight it correctly, which um, feels very human and, and is great. And I like it in my villains when it's done that way. Um, but what what is that? What is the motivation, by the way? You might as well. Yeah, the motivation is really interesting. Basically, they... Motivation for wanting to destroy all books, to yeah, clarify. The, the, the stated reason is that basically different minority and special interest groups were getting offended by different books. And so they were banning like whole, but you know, groups of books. Like, fine. Oh, you're upset about that. We won't. We won't talk about that anymore. Oh, you're upset about that. We won't talk about that anymore. And eventually, the leaders of society decided you were like, you know what? It would just be better if we didn't talk about any of this. No more ideas. We're banning books fully to just keep everyone happy, so no one has anything to complain about. And that was really interesting. I think that Ray Bradbury probably not love our current political culture, you know, where books are literally getting banned in a bunch of states. And, um, you know, on the other side, you know, college students are like shouting down and not letting people speak at at their universities because they disagree with their ideas. You know, it does feel like we're in a moment where people sort of actually do think it's a good idea to ban ideas they don't like. And uh, anyway, yeah, Ray Bradbury would not approve. Certainly not. Um, and uh, his character, who also doesn't approve, who's a, a good foil for the average everyday citizen in 451 is Montag's wife, Mildred, who is just, um, you know, she's a consumerist who sits at home all day and watches, as you said, her TV family. They have the interactive TV shows where, um, you know, 
the characters in the TV shows are her uncle and her, uh, you know, grandpa and her sister. Yeah, and they all like say her name like, oh, Mildred, what do you think? But what really they're just programmed like in every house in the country, they say like, oh, whoever's sitting in that house, what do you think? Um, yeah. Which feels like something that uh, we might actually might actually happen here pretty soon with AI and, and uh, the ability to generate like deep fake style video. Anyway, yeah, so that was a little spooky and feeling prescient. Yeah, it does feel like we're on the doorstep of, of having custom built to the consumer content um, in video, games, books, otherwise. Um, but at the same time, content that feels customized, but it in fact has like no content of any kind. They're all just right. like talking about nothing. Nothing important happens in any of these shows. Nothing in fact happens in any of these shows, but it makes Mildred like she's feel like she's part of something. It's like early uh, dopamine trickery, the early dopamine trickery that we're running into a little more seriously now. Um, and so she's she's a good character and she she just wants to buy stuff and have stuff all the time. Um, and then we also have Clarice, as you mentioned earlier, uh, Montag's neighbor, who's a high school student, basically, who he meets out on the street, who is um, kind of elucidates him to the world around him and and causes him to start thinking about it to ha to try to have original thoughts for himself um and starts really the plot of the whole novel in his whole journey and then last is faber who is uh an old professor um who used to be an english professor but has since you know obviously not an english professor anymore there's no books um but uh, who who Montag as he starts to question things remembers he's met this guy, this guy and, and reaches out to him and he sort of plays a, a role more in the second half of the novel so we won't talk too much about that here pre spoilers but uh, yeah he's the last important character yeah this novel uh, is a lot like Brave New World thinking about the world and original thought good entertainment bad yeah he's basically like pointing out that like it's very uncomfortable for humans to like I call it staring into the void but that like you know, when you're just kind of like honest about yourself, about what matters in your life and like what's going on and sort of that like, oh my God, there's no point. I remember that there's no point and I have to like make it for myself. Like, ah, that like feeling of like existential dread. This whole society is just set up to like ever avoid that feeling. They like drive at a hundred miles an hour so that you just have to be laser focused on driving so you don't die. And you like wear headphones at all times to like listen to podcasts so you don't ever have no voices talking to you you like watch tv 100 of the time so just like just never ever remember that like you're a person who maybe has thoughts and should like try to have something you care about like just don't ever make sure you never have to think that yeah which two things there i wanted to point out first of all um it, the uh, the ear pod while she, Mildred is going to sleep, listening to her stories and to music at all times, basically has the the thing in her ear um, or the TV on is like it's a little close to home. Yeah, it's definitely AirPods. He invented AirPods and just called them clamshells. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and the idea of like listening to something while you go to sleep. It's like, oh, okay, well, I mean, I do that. My wife does that. <laughs> Everyone I know does that. Um, I'd also like to point out, I feel like beyond even him making an argument for uh, people needing to think on their own um, and and fill the void, as you say, of like remembering, you know, we have to make our own purpose and reason. I think he also points out that uh, it's important to have social uh, reasons and to join 
um, in with others um, and and create. You can also create reasons together. You know, like the the Bible obviously plays a, a huge role in this um, novel. Like that they, they've snuffed out religion, um, and so he uh, finds a Bible and remembers the Bible. Montag does um, as they do in a lot of these types of books. They always zero in on that. <laughs> I suppose it is a fundamental book for humanity, but, but pointing out that like social organizing of thought and purpose is also, um, getting eschewed. Everyone is on their own in this culture, um, and on their own in a way where they're not supposed to think about being on their own. Yeah. You pointed out wisely that this is like a book that's basically propaganda for books. And, uh, yeah, I think that's true. And like, I'm here for it. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, is this is this book book propaganda? Um, yeah, uh, and which makes the irony of when it's the times it's been banned. I thought it was a lot worse. We looked up when it was banned. It was very kind of uh, isolated banning incidents over time in in various states. Uh, I believe it was Florida, Texas, and California. Um, different towns banned it for different reasons, but all the reasons were. Uh, hilariously i you know they were completely ironic um in in their their reason for banning was kind of the point he's trying to make about not banning books like the the one in irvine california was um someone was offended by them burning the bible even though in the book he's trying to save the bible from burning yeah it's like they only read the surface level of the story and thought about it like not one bit um yeah, yeah. exactly exactly yeah, like, oh i was offended let's ban that and they're like yeah that's a good idea that's not what the book's about at all like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, anyways it was a lot less than i thought i mean i've seen it on lists of banned books all the time but it's very it's very rarely banned. It seems like it's still um, mostly taught and everything. Yeah, one other little interesting note on that point. Late in his life, he actually just died uh, pretty recently. Um, lived to be really an, an old man. Um, and at the end, uh, a bunch of people were trying to get him to allow Fahrenheit 451 to be published by ebook, And he was like, no, obviously not. Like, I will die on this hill. Of course, I'm not going to let you make it into an ebook." And there's a bunch of people online who are like, think he's crotchety for that. But it's like, come on guys, the whole thing is about paper books. Like let the man, it's his art. Just like, let it be. And that, that's the, the way that speculative fiction of the, of days of yore can sometimes creep up and be wrong, right? About modernity. Like the idea of, uh, listening to a podcast while you sleep or something being anti-intellectual when I feel like most of us do it a lot. Maybe we should be thinking more, but also it seems pretty par for the course, much like reading eBooks or listening to audiobooks. It's like, yeah, things can change and it's okay. We don't yep. have to hold on to them. Um, as, as, uh, we don't have to be intellectual purists about everything. Yeah. And he's, he's also, there's, there's just like a funny little moment here where like, there's no more organized religion because they've like burned all the Bibles, but, uh, Jesus is still around. He's just like, part of the family and like sells you toothpaste and stuff on TV. That's like Jesus's new role in society, uh, which was, uh, you know, not so, not so good. Probably not where Jesus wants to be. Yeah. And where some would in some spaces he is right now. I mean, it's a kind of commercial, um, with a few, with a few extra steps people have to look past, but definitely it's been, you know, made commercial <laughs> in our time for sure. Yeah. Um, lots of, uh, mega pastors with private jets. Yeah. Strange. Uh, that's maybe not what, uh, what the man had in mind anyway, or just to sell your products, slap, slap them on there. Um, also, uh, 
Bradbury points out that kind of every generation, he has an interesting thought about war. This is kind of more your thought, so I'll give it back to you. But um, yeah, he, he basically is pointing out like war is terrible, but we keep doing it because it's actually, it's just like every generation, there's just like a few more people than the last generation who remember like, oh yeah, war is terrible and we should really work to stop doing that. Um, and it's sort of a hopeful point at the end of the book actually, which is like, you know, it seems like maybe we're on a path to someday be done with that, but that day is not yet now. Not enough people remember. Um, so that was actually kind of a nice optimistic, uh, little theme to end on. Yeah. Um, I mean, I kind of disagree with that, but we, we don't need to get into that. Um, the, uh, there's so much fun science and technology in Fahrenheit 451. Um, and we've already talked a little bit about some of it, but, uh, you know, other uses for some of it, like the earpieces, um, Faber, the, the English professor, um, who meets up with Montag and links up to have, to have a, a little mission later in the book uses the earpiece, um, to communicate with Montag. And it feels like an ocean's 11 heist almost. Um, it's kind of cool. He's like in his ear directing him. Um, and that's got to have been ahead of its time. The idea of the idea of directing from afar, uh, that, that was a really fun one. Um, what are some, what are some other fun ones? Yeah. There's also the, uh, on TV, um, in addition to the family, there's also a, a scene where they're, uh, Mildred and her friends are just watching like a bunch of like one to two minute like clips that are totally disconnected from each other. They're just like super short pieces of entertainment. And Bradbury clearly thinks that's terrible. And it's like, oh, uh, you mean TikTok? You mean you invented TikTok, Ray Bradbury? But actually two minutes is like way too long. TikToks are like 20 seconds. He gave <laughs> yeah. us way too much credit. But <laughs> anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's also uh, a villainous, one of the monsters of the book is the mechanical dog um, who does various things. That's the firehouse dog. Uh, totally. I think Bradbury went ahead in the future and stole this from Snow Crash. By Neil Stevenson. Um, that's my opinion because the ones in Snow Crash are so my favorites that I I won't consider any other uh, way that went. Yeah, any other duality of not, that scenario definitely didn't go the other way. I like your time travel hypothesis for that one. Yeah, <laughs> um, and then uh, X Factor stuff. What's unique about this book? Um, one interesting note, if you listen to the audiobook, Tim Robbins, the actor, reads it, which is uh, rare that a famous person reads the book. And uh, he did quite a good job. Um, yeah, similarly to Paul Giamatti in Scanner Darkly, if you know why Tim Robbins read this audiobook, please do let us know. Um, <laughs> oh, we should actually share the Paul Giamatti story. So it turns out, um, last episode was about Scanner Darkly, which is read by Paul Giamatti. It turns out what had happened was he is a huge dickhead, meaning he loves Philip K. Dick books. And um, he wanted a Philip K. Dick uh, biopic to get made. And uh, so he was talking with the family and never ended up, and he wanted to play Philip K. Dick, but it never ended up happening, but he got close to the family. And so when it was time to re-record the audiobook, he got picked as the guy. So basically he was just a huge fan, loved the book and did it. So awesome. Turns out there's a really good backstory for that one. Thank you uh, to, to uh, the, Paul the- Agronoff, um, who has the podcast uh, Dickheads about yes. Philip K. Dick. Um, so yeah, thank you. Thank you for pointing that out, Paul. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so anybody who knows the, Tim, knows the Tim Robbins scoop on this one. Yeah. Let us know. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we also have, uh, in X factor, I loved the idea that he brings up that fire destroys responsibility. Um, and that's something that Beatty says in one of the climactic scenes to Montag. Um, and, and I'd never heard it broken down so simply before, but like the appeal of, um, fire's destructive ability, we can just pull the trigger 
We don't have to worry about anything in life anymore. We could just destroy it all. Um, and why it's um, so easy for some to to destroy instead of build, um, which I think is a powerful sentiment. Yeah. Yeah. And then final thing we'll say here is, that, so Ray Bradbury has a super unique writing style. He's far more interested in like simile and metaphor and like the feeling he is creating than clarity of what is actually happening. Um, and there are good and there are bad parts about that. Um, you know, I actually, like when I write, I really am trying to make sure you can like literally see something. Ray Bradbury would say like, um, you know, that's trash. He wants you to like picture a metaphor and maybe actually forget what he's even talking about. Maybe it's not actually really important what's happening. Um, it's just a really distinctive writing style, particularly in science fiction. It's the sort of thing you might see more often in um, some kinds of, of uh, literary fiction. Um, but I think some people will love it. Some people will hate it. And even within the same book, like there are times that I loved it and I thought he was really achieving something beautiful. And there were other times where it was like, what is all this metaphor about? I literally do not know what is happening to the characters right now. <laughs> so anyway. Yeah. yeah. And and one more, one more thing. Um, we just wanted to bring up an anecdote from when we went to Worldcon in 2022. Um, we met uh, Jason Ackerman, who's the director at Indiana University of the Ray Bradbury Center. And he invited us to a party they were having. Um, if you go to Worldcons, uh, where they vote on the Hugo Awards, as a reminder, um, there's all these little side parties that happen the whole weekend, which is kind of the the main point of it. Um, and we went to one at the American Writers Museum. Uh, Jason invited us, which is nice of him. And they had little Ray Bradbury Museum of Things um, in there. And one of the things was, <laughs> I think it was the German version of this book, and it was a first printing, so they had kind of hadn't quite figured out like how to make sense of it. And it's called Celsius. 232 <laughs> instead of Fahrenheit 451. Yeah, the temperature, it's important that the Germans know the temperature we're talking about. That's the important thing in the title. It's just, we saw that little tiny book standing on the shelf and we thought it was so funny. Yeah, it's outrageous. The idea, the idea that you would translate it like that, just like directly. There's no... <laughs> um, Anyways, uh, what are some similar books uh, yeah. to Fahrenheit 451? Uh, Brave New World, for sure, is the closest analog by Aldous Huxley. We've mentioned it several times, but it's a book with very similar themes of like anti-consumerism, think for yourself, uh, um, ideas and, and truth and beauty are what, you know, important values. Just like entertaining yourself at all times is like morally bankrupt. Anyway, same exact themes. Um and that book was written first. Ray Bradbury is a very talented guy, whatever, but I would say he was probably extremely heavily influenced by, by Brave New World. Um, but anyway, if you have not, if you like Fahrenheit 451, definitely check out Brave New World. You will like it. Definitely. And it's a step up, we think. Um, yeah. uh, and then number two would be Canical for Leibowitz, another classic. Um, and for reasons uh, to be spoiled, uh, is especially, I think, um, yeah, I guess we actually can't a talk good about why it's a good match. But yeah, uh, stick around yeah. for the post spoiler section. We'll tell you why. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, it's it's another book about uh, learning and the value of intellectualism when it's confronted with anti-intellectualism. Yep. Uh, and then finally, we'll do the Giver by Lois Lowry, which is like a YA sci-fi book, but it um, just has kind of a similar feeling. Um, they're also both very short, quick reads um, that you also might have read in school. <laughs> yeah, and we might do an episode on that one at some point too. I think it belongs in the ranking pile. I think it does. It's so good. It's definitely aimed at a younger audience than stuff we usually um, 
we usually review. But in any case, it'll definitely be in the rankings, even if we don't do our own episode, because it's awesome. Yeah. And that's it for the pre-spoiler on Fahrenheit 451. So if you want to stick around uh, because you've read this book before, which you probably have, um, please join us in three, two, one. Brent, what happens in the rest of the book? Okay. So Montag does not see Clarice for a while. And uh, eventually he mentions it to his wife, Mildred, and she tells him that she heard Clarice had died. She'd been run over by a speeding car. And so that kind of sends Montag over the edge. There's this person who's starting to have a connection with who he felt like was giving this new perspective on life. And so he's like, okay, I got to find my own way. What would Clarice have done, basically? And so what he starts doing is he's actually been secretly taking books from fires for years, just sort of like stashing them around his house. And so he starts taking them out and reading them. And... Um, he then also goes to meet uh, an old English professor, Faber, and who he suspects might be sympathetic. And indeed, he actually convinces Faber to help him copy and print these books so there'll be more in circulation. Most importantly, the Bible. He has a copy of the Bible, and Faber, Faber thinks it might be like the last one in the United States. So, um, however, before they can act on their plan, uh, Montag just like gets super frustrated with his wife, Mildred. She has a bunch of friends over and they have this scene where they're all like watching TikTok together and he just totally loses it. And so to like punish them, he pulls out a book of poetry and starts reading poetry to them. And they're all like, oh my God, a book. Um, so, uh, his <laughs> wife reports him to the authorities and all of them, um, and so he then gets sent out on a fire call to burn down his own house and the books he's collected. Um, but at that point, he actually uses the BD tells Captain BD tells him like, okay, burn your stuff. And he actually burns a lot of it. And then BD tells him he's going to, I forget actually exactly what the inciting incident is. In any case, Montag decides like, oh, that's right. He finds the, the earpiece in Montag's ear that right. connects him to Faber. And he says like, oh, I'm going to track this down and I'm going to get your accomplices. And then Montag says like, oh no, you're not. And he burns BD with the flamethrower, knocks out a couple more guys. He melts the mechanical dog. It's a super awesome scene, actually. Um, then he's on the run across the city. He's like the only person on the street because no one walks around because why would you do that? It's not entertaining. Um, but he ends up escaping the city and meets up with a bunch of like illegal readers in the woods. Um, but they don't the actually railroad have- railroad tracks across the, the river. Yeah, that's right. They're all railroad bugs. Um, but they don't actually have books with them. They just all have memorized like one or two books. And so they're just like keeping this oral tradition alive to keep the memory of these books alive for like a better day when they can tell people about them again. Oh, yeah. And also uh, the atomic bomb drops on the city and all other cities around the world, right? As he escapes and the world's uh, kind of ended for the cities. Well, we think at least, I think my <laughs> takeaway was like it was just the United States that got bombed and maybe in the other countries they actually have books. And so maybe this is like the just desserts for being anti, in any case, yeah, Mildred and everybody else gets vaporized. Yeah, for it's extremely <laughs> abrupt uh, at the end of the book. So yeah, that's it. Everybody dies except Montag. Yeah, and then not only do we have that abrupt uh, atomic war ending, um, also uh, it doesn't really make sense because he's not that far away from the city. He'd definitely get... <laughs> just purged in that blast as well. well or at least or at least Bradbury pretty didn't like tell us how far away he walked. Maybe oh. in the metaphors of that section they walked really far. Who knows? I don't know. We 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 definitely don't get into it because he also tries to jam like seven other ideas down our throats right at the end. Yes, as well. there's a lot of moralizing right at the end of the book, which I I'm not opposed to a moral of the story. I'm I'm down. Don't get me wrong. But, but it's when, not. A, but they aren't morals of the story. They're morals of a different story. Correct. That's the issue. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. And 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 uh, I mean, it doesn't really ruin the reading because it's all very quick right at the end. It's just that it the ending is just weird to Fahrenheit four fifty. Yeah, and the it's scene a little with screwy. him basically starting with a scene where he like angrily is reading poetry to his wife and her friends. Like that scene made me insane. It was so bad. Um, basically from there, like the last third of the book, the last year. I don't know because, because the, because then he goes to burn his own house down and he has the awesome, he has the awesome scene with BD and they, it, BD talks about why they can't have books and he realizes BD's, BD just wants to die anyways. And then he burns the dog and he runs away and he gets to the river. That whole part's fun. That's true. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah, yeah, and you're right. We definitely need the fire, the fire captain speech. It's the most important part of the whole book. That like is right. the, the the moral to actually this story is like why are they doing this? And here's you know what we shouldn't be doing in society. Um, so you're right. We need that. Yeah, I will say. I mean, like you pointed out, it's very similar to the Mustafa Mond um, speech in Brave New World at the end. Very similar moment. The reason here, again, being um, they they don't want books because. It offended too many people, basically. So they just got rid of them all because it was easier, um, which doesn't feel as satisfying as the the idea in Brave New World that the sovereign good of humanity is to seek happiness. So this is how they have to organize society. And you know, the 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 savages arguing against that, saying the the sovereign good should be truth and beauty. And and there's a, a lot of really interesting philosophy in that, or even just. Um, you know how how our world is organized now, which is uh, the pursuit of any intellectualism and the support of um, quick entertainment is done by companies to sell more products and make more money is also more compelling. Or you well, you see why I mean, that's true, but almost it, it almost feels. I agree with you, and it felt more interesting to me. But at the same time, Ray Bradbury's warning feels like much more timely to me. Like we are in a moment of like literally banning books in lots of places, and like you know, shouting down speakers, like we mentioned before, like we are currently doing the thing that Ray Bradbury is wanting us not to do like quite a bit. Um, so I agree with you that it okay. didn't feel as intellectually exciting, but it did feel like, like a more timely warning to me, uh, for something that we're currently doing a lot. Yeah, I guess. And I guess that's a facet of it. I think, like I was saying, the other thing that we're currently doing a lot is, is, um, uh, passively supporting, um, people being passive, and just consuming entertainment, so they'll keep consuming products, um, which is another. I guess maybe there's just three sides to the, to this, um, but I I do agree. It's a good it's a good point. It's yeah. still a satisfying speech and a satisfying moment. Um, I also really liked uh, that he, you know, when they they memorize the books, when he meets up with the bum memorizers, um, they they. <laughs> Declare themselves. They uh, declare themselves. That's definitely what we should call them, the bum memorizers. <laughs> they declare themselves um, dusty jackets for books, um, which is to say that they don't want to be pedants. They don't want to uh, be people who remember the books and then try to teach other people about the books and say, we're so cool because we know these books and so we're better than you. Um, and his, his point being that... Um, that intellectuals should not be pedantic with their learning. They should share it freely and not be judgmental about it, which I think is a really powerful lesson and really, really hard thing to for humans to do. What's the point of having a PhD if you can't make everyone call you doctor, Cody? Is not that the point? Exactly. <laughs> your, your sarcastic wit it makes my point for me. 
Um, so I think, you know, with, with that said, I, that's that's just about it on Fahrenheit 451. Yeah, it was. A, I'm glad we did it. It was um, it was a lot different than I remember it. Also, it was like simultaneously more entertaining and also like more prescient. And also the ending was worse than I remembered. Anyway, I'm glad we did it again. That was fun. There's a, there's a lot of good stuff here. Yeah. And it's nice to read a, a quick book um, as we uh, wind up to read. Oh, I don't know. Listen to 60 hours of uh, just a third of the Expanse universe for one episode next time. Um, but we're enjoying it a lot so far. So um, hopefully you'll join us for that too. For sure. Keep reading, everybody. Later. Later.